So one of the things that is helping me is uh, me being able to multitask because my brain, you know, having ADHD, you're thinking about 10 different things at once. And so I'm able to have my brain go in different directions, like a team. Okay, split up and then go do things. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Allow me to read to you this review from a listener called Vix. WJ on the Apple Podcast platform in the UK. It's called Thank You. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Your podcast has given me the confidence to speak to a psychiatrist about ADHD, and I am starting on medication. I cannot wait. I'm 41 and recently diagnosed with inattentive type. I've been listening to your podcast, and it feels like someone finally gets me. Thank you so much for helping to change my life. Much love from across the pond. Well, this is just so lovely to hear, Vix. Thank you so much for this review and a big congrats on your diagnosis and this opportunity to reframe your identity and your view of yourself and your amazing brain. I am so glad this podcast has been helping you in this journey. Okay, so let's get started. Here we are at episode 94, in which I interview Ebony Washington. Ebony is a writer, artist, martial artist, and a writer's assistant on ABC's hit medical drama, Grey's Anatomy. Ebony was officially diagnosed with ADHD back in 2012 while she was in college, and we talk all about the various coping strategies she relied on in school before and after her diagnosis. We also talk about the many ways she masked as a girl, as well as her journey to finding the right medication and treatment plan in adulthood. And we also talk about working in the TV industry and how her ADHD has helped her with multitasking and hyper-focusing in such a high-stress environment. Enjoy! All right. So hi, Ebony. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for reaching out to me. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to chat with you about ADHD and (laughs) and me. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I guess I'll start out with asking the question I ask all of my guests, which was, you know, when were you diagnosed with ADHD? And what was going on in your life that you started to put two and two together and say, I really should should look into this diagnosis? So just to start and backtrack, in high school and even in grade school, I, w- I was always known as, I guess, in my on my report card, can't focus or not paying attention. But I always found a way to cope with that and work with that because I just thought it was normal. And I, I always had good grades. So I guess the teachers noticed me just doodling or looking around. Um, I was not the one to get up out of my seat a lot. So then in high school, I would always be the last one to finish my tests. I would actually sometimes not finish. And, you know, I got tested. I was fine because I guess I scored so high. They just thought I was fine. And I, I never, it never seemed like a problem to other people because my grades were just great. And so it was just like, oh, well, she's probably fine. Because usually people with ADHD, their grades are probably not as great because they can't focus. But I found a way, I guess I just thought it was normal. So I, I just worked with it. And I was like, oh, this is normal. 
let me see how I can fix this. I would always do note cards, just anything. I always had to have visuals on my note cards to see and connect my brain with the pictures. I just found ways that worked for me without even questioning, is there something wrong with me? Then when I got to college, I was like, oh, why is this so hard? Why aren't my coping skills working? Like, why is my technique not working for me? And I was in a lecture hall and I don't know for the life of me why I tried to major in biology because I'm a creative person. (laughs) And uh, I was in like a science, I think it was biology or something. And I was just staring. My brain just kept wandering. No matter what I did to try that tools I used in high school to focus in class. Now, meanwhile, I'm telling you, like back in high school, I was in a smaller school. So I was fortunate enough not to get lost or left behind. But in college, it's so much bigger. So, you know, professors aren't going to hold your hand if you're not focusing or don't finish an exam. That's it. (laughs) So uh, I just knew something was wrong. And, you know, I was like, oh, I thought high school was hard. No, this is hard. Like this college, adulthood, whatever. I was like, I need, I think I have a problem. And so I, you know, went to get diagnosed and I was diagnosed at like 19, 18, 19 years old. Uh, And they told me that I most likely have ADHD. And that's, you know, when I learned about kind of what it was, I did my own research because the person who diagnosed me did not like fill me in on everything, every detail. Um, I actually recently found out the extent of, of what ADHD is when I now am getting remedicated after not being, being on medication for like a gap of like six years. It, it was comforting to know that there is something, a name for it. It wasn't just my brain because in college I was like, oh, there's something wrong with me. You know, I was like, there's, this is not right. And just hearing that, oh, it's ADHD and there are ways to help you focus. I knew that was it for me. And I was able to get down and do my work and be myself. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I had a really positive experience with my diagnosis. It felt very, you know, in hindsight, and all the women I've talked to, it feels like simple. I kind of went to my doctor who I, you know, I showed her all these self tests and everything. and, And we had a half hour conversation and she diagnosed me there in the office. And then she gave me a prescription for medication. And that was it. There was like no conversation about what it is. Or I mean, I think she probably assumed that I was going to do my own research and, you know, and and sort of sent me on my way or or could tell that I had already done some research. But it's still now in hindsight, it, I'm fascinated that there was no conversation outside of try this medication. And yeah, so was that you were medicated when you were first diagnosed in college? What made you decide to go off it for six years? So going back to what you said about not being educated about it, which is, I think is a big portion of, uh, it's a big part of, you know, dealing with ADHD to understand it, how your mind works. Not, I mean, you know yourself, but to know the extent of ADHD, what, so you can identify little things if you're not sure, is this ADHD? Is this what I'm doing ADHD? So when I was diagnosed, I um, went to see a behavioral therapist and he prescribed me Concerta. In the past, I didn't know that there were so many drugs, so many medications for ADHD that you just find one that works for you. And so he just offered me Concerta 
And it didn't seem like there was an option to take anything else. So I just thought that was it. So I took it and I lost my appetite. And it kind of seemed like it made me look like I have ADHD on the outside because I was just hyperactive. Like I just, it it did something weird where it's just like, oh, it externalized my ADHD. (laughs) I don't know if it actually helped. And I just didn't feel right on it. I would have heart palpitations and the doctor I had wasn't great. (laughs) I actually called him and asked him, if I should be experiencing these heart palpitations, is this a normal side effect? And he was like, oh, I'm sorry, you have to make an appointment. He couldn't even tell me that. Like, you should go to the emergency room. That's not normal. And then I just stopped cold turkey. That was hard. It was like withdrawal symptoms. And I just said, you know, let me not take this because it's not helping me and there's no point in me taking this. And I was, I'll just go back to how I was in high school and try to cope with it on my own. And reaching adulthood and moving out to Los Angeles, you know, I was like, oh, where I'm in a job now where it requires me to focus. (laughs) And in a career of writing, I mean, for someone who cannot, for the life of me, sit down in one spot to even do a simple task, well, writing's not that simple, but just do a task like that of writing, it, it was so hard. That's kind of why I stopped taking uh, Concerta. And now I'm taking Adderall as an adult. You're having a much better reaction to it? Yeah. Yeah. There's so many different types out there. And so even just finding which one your body reacts to the best can feel like a full-time job a lot of the time, right? Just, it, it can be so exhausting. I've tried two at this point. And I'm at that stage where I'm like, I really need something. I really need some help. You know, what are my options? What are, What is my treatment plan? What's happening? And where, you know, what else do I want to try? Yeah, you have to like do your homework. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I know. When you said, I'm just going to go back to coping with it on my own, I, I just like had that visceral reaction, right? Because I feel like there's so many times where we do that, where we're just like, oh, you know what? Forget it. I'll just figure this out on my own. And then you think about your life in high school, doing all of that, right? And, and then as adults, the evidence of struggle is not there, right? And it's like, if you have ADHD, you must have shown evidence of struggle throughout your life. And so many adult women sort of feel like we've been managing for so long on our own. How do I even prove the struggle? That's exactly how I feel. And, you know, just seeing that in high school, it wasn't a problem until, you know, after that, you just see that whatever you were doing doesn't work. But then I tried to make myself believe, oh, no, it was working. I'm I'm crazy. Like that it, it will work because it worked before, but it is totally not the same. You know, you're dealing with different things. You have different things coming at you. Uh, Adulthood requires attention to multiple things because you have more responsibility and it's just overwhelming. And maybe some parts of what I did in high school will work, maybe studying wise, but so I'm grateful that I was able to find the help to flourish. Yeah, right. I know. I feel like I have, I talk about that a lot with guests that the ways in which we sort of experience these peaks and valleys in our executive functioning around ADHD. And then when we're in a valley that we start to look into this diagnosis or, you know, feel like, wait, there's more happening here than just depression or all those ways. And you're just like, oh my God, I can't cope. And why so many of us during the pandemic, myself included, that's how I got diagnosed, you know, just felt like everything fell apart. 
Now, when you started looking back into it, or at least looking back into medication, this was after you moved to California. So, so what's the timeline there? How long have you been in California? Uh, I moved to California in 2019, right before the pandemic, October 2019. So I've been there for about two years. And I, you know, hadn't been on medication, not even anxiety medication, because I also have anxiety. And a lot of people with ADHD, everyone knows people who have ADHD know that they also most likely have anxiety that pairs with it. Just one of the many beautiful things. <laughs> and so it was hard to move to LA to begin with and having anxiety and, you know, ADHD, that was a struggle. And so I started seeing a therapist again, along with getting medicated for my anxiety. So I took one step at a time, went back on anxiety medication and then when I got my job and I realized this is a job where I can't be messing up, I have to focus and be on top of things. And I'm going to need to go back on something because I need to do well at my job because me just working with my ADHD is not enough. I need to have that extra support. So I uh, went to look up online some uh, ADHD treatment center and I got medicated. They educated me on ADHD. They told me all about the medications, that I had options, that we were going to get through this together. I And I, I just felt relieved to know that like, it's not concerted. There's more than that. Like, It's just not one size fits all. So I uh, went on Adderall. I think I tried a few. It is exhausting because you're that first few weeks or so, you're trying to figure out which medication works for me. And so I think I tried a few different medications and I found that Adderall was working well. And when I was on it, when I first got on it, I was like, wow, like this is working. I, I, I was staying late after work after a whole day on Zoom and doing the writing that I've been trying to just do for the whole time for uh, that I was in LA, just trying to sit down and do something. And I was able to, because I have drive, I believe, without my ADHD and just having the medication to help me sit down and do it was life-changing. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Now, what was the treatment center? Cause I feel like that's huge. Like it, that's another thing I've talked about with, with guests, which is like how isolating and confusing and arduous the whole diagnosis journey can be. Right. And how wonderful it is when you find these treatment centers that kind of hold you through the process of the diagnosis, but then also the treatment plan and, and, you know, where you feel like people are actually looking out for you and looking after you, which is so important in this journey. So that's amazing that you found that place. What is it? So I, I'm like, so we can recommend it to people. Yeah. It's um, called millennial ADHD located in California. I think they take people all over. I'm not sure, but people can look into it and um, they have a great team there that helped me out and, they always check in and say, Hey, you're due for a refill. Would you, do you need more? And, you know, and they just hold your hand and always available to speak if you have questions or concerns or anything. And, you know, they just hold your hand through. It's something I hadn't had the first time around. So I definitely recommend finding a place like that or going there or getting that help. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, now I'm curious through this lens of an ADHD diagnosis, was there anything that you looked back at in, on, on your childhood where you were like, oh, the signs were there all along? 
And then also, you know, how did your family react to this diagnosis? Have you talked about it with them? Yes, I have spoken to them about it with them. Uh, so in high school, <laughs> I have a story about that too. But in high school, on tests, I would read a sentence over and over and over again because it was not processing in my brain. I don't know why I would like, I, I would think, how many times do I have to read this? I'm, I read it five times. Why isn't, why don't I understand? I, I know I'm smart. I know what this is. I just can't process it. And that would be frustrating. And I just didn't think anything of it because I would always just read it a 20th time maybe and just be like, okay, I got it. And I just had to work a little harder. Other things that I did was, hmm. So I had the extra time on my test. That was something. Was that a 504 or was that just something that your teachers would give you? That was just a regular exam. Just like multiple choice, like in history class, just any exams. Reading comprehension was hard for me. I was an excellent reader, but I couldn't process it out loud, just in my head. And so another thing that I noticed is it was very hard for me for summer reading. Summer reading lists, oh, I hated them. And, you know, books are great. I enjoyed stories. I loved the series Unfortunate Events. I think that book was okay because it really just, the way it talked to its readers, it just gave me like, oh, by the way, this word means this. It was just like the way it was worded, I think helped with me being able to read those books. But it was always hard to complete my summer reading list. And I remember uh, I had to read A Tree Grows in Brooklyn in English class, which is a great book. And I was so just nervous that I was not going to finish it by the time we got back to school. And so I had to go to the library, rent an audio book on those uh, CDs, got my Walkman, popped them in, and I would listen to it and read along. I had to read along because my brain wouldn't just process it listening because my mind would wander and the voice had to be interesting. It had to be like, and then this happened, like not just a robot, because then I don't think that would have worked. But fortunately, the woman reading the audiobook was was interesting. And I read along and it was processing and and uh, I remembered it. And it was great because I finished it at the speed of the discs. I had a way to follow along and, and had a plan to finish the book. So I just, after one disc was done, I had the next disc and the next disc. And I think people with ADHD, or at least me, find it helpful when you break things into smaller pieces. It's less overwhelming. And that might be for most people too, but it's very helpful. I know. I definitely have that with, with TV shows versus movies. If it's like, you know, if it's like seven o'clock and my husband will say, do you want to watch a movie? I'm like, God, no, I don't want to sit for a movie for two hours, but we'll easily watch, you know, five TV shows for half an hour. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. This is going to date me, but I, I really hated reading when I was a kid. I was not an avid reader until I discovered VC Andrews, which (laughs) this is definitely dating me. But VC, you know, I grew up in a very Christian household, very religious household. VC Andrews is not. And and so I remember my mother being so excited that I was reading anything. She had no idea what VC Andrews <laughs> was. Um, but I would like be in my room reading those books like for hours. It was like the first books I ever that actually captured my attention. And it's it's like you said, there was like something about it. I don't know if it was really just the the subject, the horrific subject subject matter, but or 
you know, I see that with my kids too, where it's like, they don't just like generally like reading, but when they, when they get into a series where there's something about the writing or the topic or the subject matter or the wording or something, the flow, they'll just inhale them. And that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and going back to the math thing too, I also had a lot of struggles with like word problems um, in math, right? So it was like, I was fine with with straight multiplication, division, all of that stuff. But whenever it was in paragraph form, I would have to reread it over and over and be like, what are you asking me? You know, when you said you couldn't, you know, in a testing situation, when you couldn't say it out loud, I was like, oh, yeah, that's like even more frustrating when you can't, like when you have to kind of do it all in your head as though the saying it out loud auditory piece helps, right? Yeah, I totally related to that. Yeah, and uh, math, forget it. I mean, algebra was great. I don't know if the, a lot of letters in there, but <laughs> those word problems, forget it. I, I would have to draw pictures to figure out the word problems on my paper. I'd be like, oh, this many balloons are here and I need to, you know, this many are I had to draw it because my brain was not about to read each sentence and figure it out in my head with words. <laughs> yeah, I think I said this on an other episodes where the only time I remember cheating in high school was was in algebra because of the I could never remember the formulas. And so I would write the formulas on the inside of my Texas Instruments calculator. <laughs> and, you know, I'd write them in pencil in the classic case so that like, as soon as the test started, I would write them all on my test paper and then erase them so that I didn't get caught with my um, calculator. But I was like, I absolutely could not memorize those formulas. I don't know like why it was ever expected of us to do that. It just felt so unfair. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, yes, that is the one and only time I definitely cheated. I mean, do people use those today? <laughs> no, I don't think they're I don't think they're required. Although my daughter's in high school now and there are some there are some tests where she's required to like memorize formulas. Oh, I think it's like a phys she has a physics test coming up, um, a final, and there's all these formulas she's really struggling with memorizing. And I'm like, why? Why on earth is that required of kids? I don't know. It's really frustrating. And then I also was reminded of Shakespeare. I could not read Shakespeare. I had to listen to Shakespeare like on records. That's that's also dating me. I would like go to the library and find Shakespeare records. Yeah. I'd uh, have to listen to them as at the same time. I still probably couldn't I still probably couldn't just like sit down and read Shakespeare. So I don't know if that's a neurodivergent thing or if that's a Shakespeare thing. I mean it, it's probably a little bit of both, but to go back to to my English class in high school. There was one uh, teacher that I had who didn't make us read. I think it was my junior year. And she would always show us the movies instead of making us read. I think we would read along in class, but she was like, oh, we're going to watch the movie. And I was like, I love her. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So maybe that's just a Shakespeare thing. I don't know. I'm curious. I see what people respond to this conversation. <laughs> I'd like to take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am a big proponent of therapy. Therapy provides me the best opportunity for verbal processing, something that is so important for my kind of brain and my sense of self. 
What I love about BetterHelp is that it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy that's done securely online from the comfort of your home. They assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and it's available for clients worldwide. So you get access to a broad range of expertise that might not be available to you locally. It also tends to be more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference health with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash women ADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash women ADHD. And there's a link in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their Go Henry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at gohenry.com slash women ADHD. Again, that's gohenry.com slash women ADHD. TNCs apply, renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. Okay, so now I'm curious, how did you end up ma majoring in biology? And then how does a biology major end up being a writer in Hollywood? <laughs> well, I am a writer's assistant. And my goal is to be a writer in Hollywood. But I started out, I think, wanting to do physical therapy. When I was in college, going to college, mm -hmm, I, you know, put all my eggs in one basket and basically applied to like, maybe two or three schools before I went to college. And the school that I really wanted to go to, I didn't get into. So I went to community college and I took all my prerequisites there. And I didn't know what I wanted to major in. And you can major in an associate's degree, you know, program. So I was looking down the list and I think I just, from high school, I had done like some editing from the sports teams on our in our high school. And I did some editing from the footage for the, you know, for the local sports channel. And so I was like, oh, I think I'm interested in films. I love watching TV. I love movies. So I just randomly selected film editing. I was like, I'll do that. And then, you know, I'm thinking as I'm going, I'm like, well, I mean, this is fun as a hobby, but I think I'm, I want to do physical therapy because I, I didn't mention this, but I'm a, a black belt in Taekwondo. So I also grew up doing Taekwondo for a big portion of my life. So I was, you know, always interested in like sports sport sporty things and and I guess that has a lot to do with exerting energy and <laughs> with my ADHD yeah so I said oh I want to do physical therapy you know I like I want to I like helping people I love people and then you know I I was in chemistry class in college and I was sitting in the lecture hall and oh my gosh I looked at the board and I just saw lines circles they were speaking another language and I was like, I can't, I cannot. And so I got up and left and I changed my major. I said, why am I doing this to myself? I'm a creative person. I was taking art classes in between these science classes. 
And like, you know, I've always, I was always into art in high school. I was in uh, the honor society, art honor society and doing like actual art, but you know, creative wise, I was just like, I, I, I'm, this is not helping me exert any creativity. There's no way I can draw pictures for this. I mean, what am I going to draw a flask? I mean, I can't. So I just got up and left and I was into TV and I had been doing some research and I didn't know screenwriting was a job until I did my research and looked at all the majors um, at my college. And so I, you know, I went to them and told the professor, hey, you know, I, I'm interested in majoring in screenwriting. And he was like, oh, you're going to have to restart from the beginning. And I was like, oh, and he's like, but you can do um, cinema studies, which is like film history and minor in screenwriting. So that's what I did. And there's a lot of watching movies and analyzing movies. And I think for me, that that was like something that just drew me in. Like that was good for me, writing essays on films and stuff that was for some reason that was I was able to do that oh cool yeah that's that makes a lot of sense I think through you know I think of all the ways that we kind of look back at who we are and why we did things through this lens of ADHD and you're like oh yeah okay that makes sense when it comes to your work right now in the television industry do you feel like your ADHD is helping you like is there is there anything about it that you sort of feel like um is driving you? Yes, I do. So one of the things that is helping me is uh, me being able to multitask because my brain, you know, having ADHD, you're thinking about 10 different things at once. And so I'm able to have my brain go in different directions, like a team, okay, split up and then go do things. And I'm able to do that and think about multiple things at once. And my job as a writer's assistant requires you to focus because I'm taking notes in the writer's room when all these writers are talking and I have to be able to focus. And that's also why I got back on medication because I was like, oh no, this is not going to work. I need to have a system because, you know, when I'm talking to someone one-on-one, I will just space out. And so I can't do that here because they're leaning on me to have their conversation recorded. So I need to get myself together. So being able to have my brain split up has actually kind of helped along with my medication to be able to take notes because so many people are talking and now I'm finding myself like being able to hear what one person is saying. And then my, the other part of my brain's like, okay, the next person's talking and I'm still, so like my brain's working to be able to take all these different notes from all these different voices. So I feel like somehow, if that makes sense, that's how it's helping me in my job right now. It almost sounds like you're kind of a video game. (laughs) I know it does. (laughs) You know, the way it's like all these moving parts and pieces and you're just sort of like directing them all in your head. You know, that reminds me, you, you had said you had a funny family story about your ADHD diagnosis. I want to go back to my mom is a teacher, my dad's a pastor, and he was uh, an assistant teacher, teacher's assistant. And so my mom has been a teacher for years. And, you know, she's seen kids with ADHD. And mostly the kids that she's seen are the ones that get up and get out of their seat and keep talking and are just disrupt the class. And so I wasn't like that. So I think that's probably why she, she didn't think anything of it. 
And also, I just spoke to my mom recently, and she believes that she also probably has ADHD because I told her a bunch of, you know, different things that I identified, like reading texts over and over and different things. And she said, yeah, she she has that too. And my mom is in her 60s. So she's like, yeah, that's not, I probably have it. And I said, you probably do. And, um, you know, she's coped with it too. And so I feel like because I didn't look like the typical ADHD kid, how she's seen it in her classroom, she probably didn't think that I had it even when I was running in circles around the house as a kid. And she just let me until I got tired. And she just thought, hey, she's athletic because in school she's doing great. She's just an athletic kid. That's what she thought. <laughs> she's like, and, uh, you know, and I don't blame anybody because, you know, I, I just coped with it on my own thinking it was normal because my mom thought it was normal too. She just, cause she coped with hers growing up and, you know, and I was getting good grades. So as long as that was working and I wasn't complaining, I think that happened. But that's the funny story is I, I used to run in circles around the house and I don't understand how nobody <laughs> said she's got ADHD. <laughs> I mean, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. It just goes to show how much we've learned about it and how the signs were there, but we didn't know what to look for back then. And I think that's what I'm going through with both my kids right now, which is like, they don't have a lot of the stereotypical signs of ADHD. So their teachers are, their teachers think that they're wonderful and well-behaved and doing well and everything's fine. And, and yet I'm talking to all of these adults who are like, that was me. And now I have all this anxiety and perfectionism and, and, you know, and I'm like, okay, so how, right. So I'm like, what do we need to recognize in these kids if they're not running around in circles, like how do we help them as children so that they don't end up becoming these balls of anxiety and uh, as adults, right? <laughs> and I, sometimes like, I don't honestly know, right? Like I, I feel like a diagnosis will help. And when I look into like executive function coaching, like the fact that that even exists, I think is really helpful with ADHD or not. I think it's such an important these are such important life skills to be teaching kids, like how to write emails and how to clean their rooms or come up with schedules and all that stuff. Like you were saying, when you go to college and you're just like, oh my God, there aren't people looking out for me. There's not people making sure I wake up. There's not, the teachers don't make sure I'm doing my homework. Like you're just kind of pushed out of the nest. And where are the ways in which we need to help these kids, um, any of them, you know, so that they don't end up feeling like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just doing, I'm just managing on my own and I'm coping with it on my own. And then you get to adulthood and you're like, am I coping? I don't know. Was I ever coping? <laughs> I don't feel like I'm coping. Yeah. You know, my dad, um, he's a pastor and he's been a pastor for over 40, for over 40 years. And so I would always be in church. And now, uh, I, I mean, I can go back and see, cause this still happens where, you know, you're, I'm trying to listen to a sermon and I just thought, like I, like I should be listening to this because it's important. It's part of my faith and, and I can't listen and I can't. Uh, so like, you know, for, for even church was, is hard for me still to listen and just listen to someone talk, you know, it's just hard. So that was also a struggle. And I look back down, my dad's like, so what did you like about the sermon? And I'm like, oh, uh, and he doesn't know this, but one time he asked me that. And I hung up the phone and pretended that I lost connection because I could, I didn't know. <laughs> I was like, I was like, you, you're doing great. True confession time. 
Well, that's what's I think so interesting about the concept of masking, right? That's a great example, sitting in church, having to sort of sit still, stare straight ahead and listen to a sermon. I mean, I did that growing up. And now that you mention it, my father always took notes. And when he was listening to sermons, I don't think he ever looked back at them, but I think it really helped him be a more active listener to take notes. And then also, I think it kept him from falling asleep. So but like, you know, the expectations to just stare straight ahead and listen when you have ADHD, that's the worst way to listen. You can't be an active listener and stare straight ahead. So it's like, you you're, you know, that's, that's really such an important part of masking, which is like, I, if I look like I'm listening, then I'm not listening. If I look like I'm doing a million other things while you're talking, then I am like really interested and I'm, and I'm really paying attention. If I'm also writing or also doodling or drawing, you know, or fidgeting or all the other things that help you actually focus and listen, but the expectation is on you to like sit still, put your hands in your lap and sit forward. And you're like, that is the worst possible um, outcome to, to get me to listen. So yeah, that's such a great example of, of, you know, the, the, the way in which we have to kind of mask to listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, it's just, it's, it's hard to just sit sit down for some people in one spot as well. But when I asked my mom, what did you, now that you look back, do you notice anything that I used to do to be able to read things or understand things? She said, I would write things down. So, uh, you know, I don't remember, I guess, but I would always write things down. Like when I was studying or, you know, just so it went in my brain because writing it down, I had to see it. I'm a visual learner as most people with ADHD, I'm sure are. So, yeah, writing things down really helps. And I think your dad uh, is smart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but, right. I mean, I, I did the same thing in university. I, you know, I would just sit in the front. I had to sit in the front row center, and I had to. I just took copious notes, mostly because it was how I. It was the only way I could listen, and I still do that sometimes too. With like, you know, with the interviews, right? Like, I'm always taking notes as they they make it's funny when I go back and look at them they made absolutely no sense uh, and I have no idea what I've written but um you know they're just this like random references but at the same time it's like it the 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 act of taking notes helps me listen in the moment so fascinating when I was diagnosed with ADHD it completely turned my world upside down I looked back at so much of my life, my grades in school, my multiple careers and hobbies, my friendships, my marriage, motherhood, my relationship with food and my body, like all of this with a new lens. And it was overwhelming to say the least. If you've been diagnosed with ADHD and you're feeling blown away by this new insight into your brain and how it operates, I totally understand. I can help you begin to sort through this chaos, explore who you are and how your brain operates so you can finally start to lean into your strengths and begin to use them to your advantage moving forward. Together, we can work to identify what obstacles you've been facing and create strategies to help you start living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. Head over to womeninadhd.com slash coaching to book a 30-minute initial consult with me so we can figure out if my brand of one-on-one coaching is right for you. Again, that's women and ADHD.com slash coaching. And you can find that link in the episode show notes. Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, 
coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The Lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyperfocus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access self-guided and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, it's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. When I was diagnosed with ADHD and I looked back at being a newspaper journalist and being like, yeah, everybody in that newsroom had to have ADHD because it just seems like the perfect job <laughs> for for somebody with ADHD. Do you look around now in your own industry and do you, do you feel like there are a lot of people with ADHD or like how is it viewed? Is it openly talked about or is it something that you sort of feel like it's not something you want to advertise? Yeah, I, I do think a lot of people actually do. And I think there are more people, uh, adults with ADHD than I than we realize, who are coping with it, whether they are diagnosed or not. And one thing I'm able to see now is like, you know, with Zoom, I feel like that's also a really good way to tell because you need little breaks in between. Uh, so it's just like, I mean, I know I do, but, you know, I'm like, when cameras are off, I'm like, what are they doing? <laughs> you can just tell like from other even from seeing different rooms or something, you can see like writers, if, if sitting down in a room, you have to sit there and talk, you know, about stories. So sometimes that might be hard to sit there for that long and you need little breaks. And sometimes you can be like, oh, well, you know, this person needs to go to the bathroom. Do they, or do they just have ADHD because they can't sit there? So I'm like, sometimes I'm looking, I'm like, hmm, who else is, who, who else is a closeted ADHD person? <laughs> yeah, I saw an article recently about Martin Short and Steve Martin whenever they were on breaks for Only Murders in the Building. They were never on their phones. They would only like play board games or play card games and everybody else was on their phones. And I was like, yeah, I guess that's like a generational thing. But it was fascinating to me because 
I think the constant use of our phones adds to a lot of our traits and symptoms, right? You know, like, I think it's pretty obvious at this point that phones are terrible for our focus and attention span. (laughs) And for people with ADHD, we're like moths to a flame with our phones. And so I'm like, I love the idea of these two just like totally rejecting modern technology and just being like, yes, on my break, I'm going to play a board game. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I mean, that that is so real, because I, especially on when you're on zoom, like, Let's say I, I need to do two, thing, two things at once. So if I'm not taking notes and someone's talking, I need to either be drawing or playing a game on my computer so I can listen because, you know, it's not going to go. I need to be my brain has to be doing not one thing at a, like one thing. at a, It has to be doing a, a few things at a time. Um, so I, you know, maybe I'll play solitaire and I'm listening um, because my brain is moving. I'm moving somehow. So it's getting that dopamine going. So I, in order for me to listen. So, um, I think a lot of writers have ADHD. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned solitaire. Cause I, that's one of the things I do on my phone all the time when I'm listening to books or podcasts, if I'm not like moving around or walking or driving or something and I, and I'm just sitting and I still want to listen, I will play solitaire because if it fascinates me that like I can do both that uh, that solitaire like takes up solitaire requires a part of my brain that is not interrupted, not doesn't interrupt my concentration when I'm listening to a book. And it's so weird to me because there's other games I've tried that I can't do. I'm like, you know, I can't split my focus that way. But for there's something about solitaire that I'm like, this is fascinating. And then the other thing I do, I have like a, you one of those like paint by numbers apps on my phone that for some reason I can like do paint by numbers with like the touching of just the, you know, touching of the images. For some reason I can do that. That also does not take up the part of my brain that is required for listening. (laughs) And so I'm like always looking for new games that I can play at the same time. It's such, you know, it's such a silly little children's app, but I'm always looking for you know, new games that I can, you know, that won't interrupt the part of my brain that is needed for when I'm listening to a book. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, if there's any recommendations, because I'm bored of solitaire. I tend to play a lot of word games. And I, for some reason, can listen. Sometimes I can listen when I'm playing word games, which is wild to me, because I you have to focus on that. But like, I play Wordle every day. And like, I have to get that done or New York Times spelling bee that gets my brain going. Like I, for some reason, always have to do it every day, those little word games. So that, that helps me too. And drawing, drawing, doodling. I have the same ritual. I have the same ritual every morning. I have like three word games that I have to play first thing in the morning. As soon as I start my phone, I'm like, sit down with my coffee and I have to get them all out of the way. Cause they all have like a daily dopamine hit where it's like, you know, the daily streak and it's so it's like the wordle, you know, the word game of the day. And so I have to get them all out of the way and like clean my slate before I can even begin my day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I bet you there's so many listeners who are nodding. <laughs> I mean, I'm nodding right now, um, if you can't see. But with Wordle, I, I always feel so distraught when I miss the Wordle of the day. Like if I'm it's been 24 hours and I forgot to play or some I just had so much going on. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like I will literally just feel <laughs> horrible because I didn't complete the uh, wordle of the day. And it feels like a streak has been broken. 
I know, I know. I, the first time I broke the streak was over spring break. I, I had, and I was devastated because, <laughs> and now I'm kind of like <laughs> I've broken it enough times at this point that I don't pay attention to it. But yeah, streaks can be like wonderfully motivating, but at the same time, it, they can like rule your life in a way. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I need some balance. <laughs> okay, so I'd love to ask the question if you could rename ADHD to uh, something that's a little less confusing or complicated. Is there something you would name it? Have you talked about that? I'm also like, I'm so fascinated because of your mom and teaching. And have you discussed that with her at all? Like, what what would you call it? I would call it E B D, Energizer bunny disorder (laughs) nice very simple (laughs) it gets the job done i know i i feel like i've used the energizer bunny uh, metaphor many times i definitely relate to that yep (laughs) you need that juice to keep you going I know, right? And well, and then the other thing is, like, when you look at the Energizer Bunny, he's he is just like going and going and going. It's not necessarily like he doesn't look hyper. He looks like he's just like in the mm-hmm. groove, right? So there's not there's not like a manic energy about the Energizer Bunny. He's just got his sunglasses and he's like, I am run by a motor, and until he runs out, which is sort of how I feel a lot of the time. It's the three days. It's the three days in a row that I can't get off a couch that are the. <laughs> the part that I'm like, where's the hyper, you know, like that was the confusing part for me with the hyperactivity. Cause I was like, I can, I can go into such a state of paralysis. I always thought that paralysis was the opposite of hyperactivity. And now that I, you know, I am like, Oh no, they, it makes perfect sense that they coexist. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that because they think like, Oh, the little, the little uh, boy in the class that's running around with scissors is that's ADHD. But, you know, no, sometimes it's it's just being, like you said, paralyzed and unable to do things. And I don't know if that's to do with the fact that you just got so much going on that it's just like your brain just shuts down because it's over on overdrive. So it's just like, okay, it's time to take a break. Your body's like, stop. Because you just, without trying to, your brain is constantly going. The other night I couldn't even sleep because thoughts were just over, just flooding my mind. And I was like, why... And that randomly happens sometimes. And I was tired. It's just like my body wanted to rest, but my brain was just going, like, you know, just going, going, going. So some people can't see it's internalized, not always externalized. Oh, I know. Well, and that's why I like the battery analogy, too, because it's given me a lot more grace when I am in that tired, exhausted, burnt out, can't get off the couch phase, because I instead of thinking to myself, like, why are you so lazy? What's wrong with you? Why aren't you getting stuff done? I look at myself now and I'm like, okay, you are necess- it's necessary for you to recharge your battery right now, probably because you were doing a lot of stuff the last few days, right? Like, so it's much easier for me to kind of see the cyclical nature of my energy and that my batteries need recharging as opposed to before my diagnosis where I used to just be like, what's wrong with you? You, you, could, you should be doing this. You could be doing this. <laughs> Um, now, so I'm curious, what are some of the projects that you're working on right now? And do you have you know, in, anything interesting that you've got coming up? So I just, you know, I wrote a pilot and that's what I would use as my piece to, to becoming a writer is using my sample as a pilot. So I'm always um, working on that and I'm going to start a new one. And um, right now I'm a writer's assistant on Grey's Anatomy, where um, I'm sure 
You have heard, have you heard of that show? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I've heard of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I love, and I also love that show. And uh, it's one of my favorites still to this day. And as far as projects, working on my own stuff, writing pilots and, uh, you know, soaking up knowledge uh, in the writer's room uh, where I get to hear all these wonderful voices create these amazing stories. Uh, well, that's fun. Sounds like you've got a really fun gig. Keeps my brain juiced up. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. I feel like I don't know. if I, I mean, it feels there are those every once in a while you come upon those like lists of jobs that work for people with ADHD. And I definitely feel like working in that kind of fast paced industry has its pluses and its minuses for an ADHD brain. But for the most part, like, yeah, super exciting to always have new things. And uh, that's the stuff I miss the most about working in a newspaper was all of that fast paced plate spinning. You know, I always felt like I was on fire in those moments of like running around and doing stuff. And yeah, that's the part I miss. Yeah. And before that, I had been the showrunner's assistant, like when I first got my first job in TV. And you know, that was like a whirlwind because it's so, you know, you got to do so much. You got to, uh, showrunner's busy. So you got to schedule roll calls. You got to schedule meetings. And I was like, so gr- like great, I think at that, because my brain was like, I get to multitask, you know, this is what I get. I get to do all these things. It was so exciting because every day was different. Some things would happen if meetings got canceled, I'd be like, all right, you know, what's the next thing? You know, so my brain, I think, really appreciates the career path I am choosing to take. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, thanks so much for reaching out. I was so glad to hear your story and um, very, very interesting perspective. So, so thanks for sharing. Yeah, thank you for having me. And um, thank you for having this podcast. And I hope that more people, more women find it and it helps them to go get their own diagnosis and see if they have it. Right? I know. Absolutely. And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.